Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The presenting sponsor of this episode of Can We Please Talk is Kidcaster. Let me ask you a question out there, listeners. How many times have you listened to Nick and I speak on a topic or have a guest on and you say, I could do that. I could be a guest on a podcast or I could even host my own podcast. And did you know that podcasts are a great way to grow your own personal and business brand voice? We all want to feel connected to brands we buy from. And what better way to humanize a brand than through sharing your story on a podcast? You can do that now with Kidcaster. It's a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. So if you're an expert in your field, you've got a unique story to share or an interesting point of view, it's time to explore the world of podcasting with Kidcaster. You can expect a completely customized concierge service from their staff of communication experts. I've worked with them in the past. We booked guests through Kitcaster. Thank you and shout out to Mallory and the team out there for helping us. Kitcaster is a secret weapon in podcasting for business, folks. I'm telling you right now, and your audience is out there. They're waiting to hear from you. So what are you waiting for? All you got to do right now is go to kitcaster.com backslash CWPT, the initials of this program, to apply for a special offer for friends of this show. If you don't feel like typing in that URL and you're in our show notes right now, you can click on the link and it takes you right there. Fill out that form and get started with the good folks over at Kitcaster today. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Severi. On the program today, the Texas House Investigatory, we'll say that word three times fast, uh, committee released a preliminary report on what happened that day in Uvalde regarding law enforcement's response. If you did not see this presser that happened over the the weekend, Nick and I with the latest on that, uh, the January 6th committee, their latest hearing was last week. They got another one coming up this Thursday. Here's some things you may have missed in last week's uh, hearing. President Biden's recent trip to Israel and Saudi Arabia wrapped up. Nick and I with some takeaways from that trip. 
And finally, a recent New York Times article says 94% of Democrats under the age of 30 want another candidate to run for president in 2024 instead of President Biden. And someone on the show has some choice words for those folks. Uh, in a segment we're calling Get Off My Lawn. More on that later on in the program. Uh, but first I say hello. Well, actually, first, before I say hello to Mr. Severi, some housekeeping notes here on the show. October 27th, Thursday, in our nation's capital, time and location still to be determined. But can we please talk live in D.C.? Come on down if you live in the D.C. area. Thursday, October 27th, we will be doing a live show announcing the location Probably going to be around 5 p.m. in the evening. We've got some surprise guests coming on the program, a couple of correspondents from the, some different periodicals. We have a former government official coming on the program and a sitting member of Congress, somebody from the House of Representatives, will be on the program all live uh, in D.C., food, drinks. We've got some prizes that we're going to be giving away. So if you live in the D.C. area, come on down, check out Nick Severi and myself uh, as we do a live show our first one. We're going to see how this one goes. And this one will be live. We've got a production crew coming. It's going to be it's going to be official, folks. You don't want to miss out on this. Nick, how how excited are you for this DC show? Super excited. Yeah. Uh, I talked about this with uh, some friends at work um, who were excited to come down. Um, yeah, it was. I'm 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 at a loss for words, man. Like <laughs> just putting the, you know, to my schedule, make sure, you know, get that freed up. Uh, my wife may possibly come down with me. We're trying to figure out childcare stuff. Uh, I like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm at a loss, man, because this, this means a lot for the show. This means a lot for just the work you and I've been doing. Um, this means a lot for people who are coming, you know, friends of ours, supporters of the show. Um, two years, yeah. man. So two year anniversary. We yeah, started this exactly. show October 28th in 2020. Uh, the first episode was released on YouTube. Subsequent episodes came out on Apple and Spotify. So our two-year anniversary celebrating this show, if you're wondering why we're doing it, and also the midterm elections will be happening in the subsequent weeks. So we want to get more on that. Um, I say hello to you. How are How is everything else besides a live show coming up in a few months? We're good. We're good. We are, uh, for me, you know, professionally just a busy time of the year obviously um That's right. but the kid kids are good uh, i actually get i finally get back on a plane next week so i'll head down to arkansas and be working with some folks in the education space there so i'm excited to do that and you know so you know be getting some time away from the kids which will be the first time i've done it actually since the pandemic so i'll take a little getting used to um nice. but i'm excited though get to be in the you know in the heart of the southeastern conference <laughs> hopefully yeah. you know i'm gonna have to score some razorback gear obviously because you know i'm i'm in the territory so right right it'll be right. good yeah How you don't yourself? want to stand out i'm doing good man you know i i wanted to tell you um you and i have been texting about this but we, we I forgot to bring it up before we get into our first segment got a lot of feedback on the kate smith episode i mean and they range mm -hmm. the gamut from somebody calling her a propagandist uh, which I mean, I don't the, the 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 text message I got about Kate Smith and she, by the way, subsequently recently posted something. If you don't follow her on Twitter, she's a great follow on Twitter and on, on Instagram. I think her uh, Instagram handle is L.A. Kate Kate. But um, she posted something recently about like a security issue. She had somebody threatening her life and, and she's gotten threats before. But uh, when I saw that text come in and then. I mean, that was crazy in itself. And it was somebody that like listens to the, the program and was like, I'm not going to listen to that propaganda. So I was like, okay. Um, but then 
you know, we've, we've gotten a couple emails um, on Twitter. We got a bunch of comments from Kate's clip. If you haven't, if you don't follow us on Twitter, can we please talk, leave off the E uh, or on Instagram at can we please talk podcast. You can check out the, the clip that we put of Kate talking about the media's coverage of this. Right. And it's not really a 50, 50 issue, but they continue to cover it as such. Right. Uh, some people, you know, throughout the comments in, on Twitter were like, well, most of that 80% wants limits, 15 weeks. So 75% think there should be a 15 week limit or less and stuff like that. And, and you and I have been texting back and forth. I've had conversations with my wife about this. I only want to say one thing about this. This is the only thing I'm going to say about this. You, you can chime in if you want, before we get into our first segment. Those are all opinions. Those are all feelings. You got a decision tree this. Are you a woman? Yes. Move on. You can keep going down the decision tree. Are you the doctor that's taking care of the woman? Yes, let's move on. If you fall in the no category, that's it. I don't want to hear from you. I don't care. I don't understand what's it to you, what a woman does with her body. What's it to you? Now, you may answer and your retort may be, well, the legalities behind it. Well, we shouldn't be killing babies at third. Nobody's doing that. Any doctor will tell you that they're not going to perform an abortion at 35 weeks. You know, like some of these uh, uh, non-plausible scenarios that these Republican representatives have been giving to doctors that uh, in these committee meetings. And you've been, you, you, you've been hearing these sound bites. I think we played one on this show. Like these are not plausible scenarios. Nobody does this. I just don't understand why people don't get this basic concept. Decision tree. It. Are you X? Does it affect you? Are, are you the doctor? Are you the, like, if it doesn't affect you, why, what, what's it to you? Am I oversimplifying this, Nick, in your opinion? No, I don't, I don't think you are. Um, I think, you know, it's funny that people picked up on, you know, whether like the 91-9 ratio is, is right. truly accurate. And the reality is that, you know, you can argue that all you want, but the most important point to take is that when news programs, and I'm going to use the word news loosely in this case, decide to have someone on both sides of the argument trying to debate this, what Kate's point was, is that this actually the majority of Americans, vast majority of Americans. Are, are comfortable with abortion, are supporting a woman's right to choose. So when you have two opinions on a program, what you're saying is that, that Americans are somewhat divided on it. And the numbers don't bear out to say that. At the same time, you know, Mike, I think there are layers additionally to the opinion that people have. Uh, you know, as a man, I fall into that category of unless this is something to do with my family, and even then, I don't, I don't know what opinion I want to have on it. I'm not, I don't have an issue. I'm, I'm not going to raise an issue with it. Um, I really struggle fundamentally with the, the conceit that a lot of men seem to have about the assumptions we're making about a woman's mindset when they make the decision to have an abortion. And you mentioned some of these committee hearings and they've been laughable. You know, we're having women brought in front of these committees and you have these men that are asking these absurd questions about when the abortion takes place. And are you basically okay with being a baby killer? And it's like, we're, it's stunning in 2022. What feels that like we've gone backwards. These are the kinds of conversations that, you know, we, we thought we came out of in the nineties, but it's just coming back. And again, it plays into a narrative that, you know, this is a conversation on equal footing. And it isn't the majority of Americans feel that way, that they're comfortable in some form or another with a woman's right to choose. So, I come back to the fact that oftentimes the media, we treat it like professional wrestling, that we want two sides to this and right. entrance music and all that bullshit. When in reality, it's not true. And go even at the macro level, as a global population, 
Right. We're one of the few countries that seems to engage in this at a political level. Other countries in the world are not having this conversation. This is not something that plays itself out in the halls of their respective legislative body. Yeah. I mean, just look at Boris Johnson, member of the Conservative Party in UK, and he's pro-choice. Uh, real quick, I just wanted to footnote Kate Smith's uh, poll that she talked about in the clip. It, it, abortion in your state should be, and this is a CBS News poll that was conducted back in June 24th, 25th of 2022, only 9% of people polled in that poll said it should be illegal in all cases. That's what she was pointing to in terms of 91.9. It's technically not 91.9 because legal in all or most cases in terms of favoring abortion, it was 64%. 27% said it should be illegal in most cases. Um, anyway, I don't want to, I, I just appreciate all the feedback we have gotten from even the propagandist person. Uh, appreciate all the feedback and listening. Check out that episode with Kate Smith. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, let's move into our first topic, Nick, because if you did not catch this over the weekend, the Uvalde uh, committee, the Texas House Investigatory Committee, like I mentioned at the top of the program, they released a, a report and did a press conference in conjunction with the mayor of Uvalde um, on Sunday night. And they were talking about what happened with the police failure, right? It was a preliminary report and it outlined a series of failures by multiple law enforcement agencies. Um, describing really, and this is according to multiple reports, a lackadaisical approach that the authorities on the scene of the shooting had in which 21 people were killed, obviously 19 kids and two teachers. There was even one part in body cam footage that was presented from the committee of findings that has been making viral rounds of one of the law enforcement officials asking the killer to stop shooting and trying to negotiate with him. You got multiple people saying that's a no-no in law enforcement. You, an active shooter is not somebody you try to negotiate with. Um, it's a 77-page report. You can check it out online. I want to play a couple clips from uh, some of the committee members talking that day because there's a lot to digest and there's some that's going to leave you the wrong way. And I mean, at least I, some of the takeaways I had from that were terrible. But let me give some outlining facts real quick. Um, 376 responders from various agencies were on the scene that day in the shooting, the report, again, this is from the Texas Department of Public Safety. Um, there was about 149 U.S. Border Patrol agents, 14 Department of Homeland Security officials, 91 uh, Texas Department of Public Safety folks on the ground, 25 uh, responders from the Uvalde Police Department, 16 from the San Antonio Police Department, their, their SWAT team, and then 16 from the Uvalde County Sheriff's, Sheriff's Office. Uh, the Uvalde School Police Chief, according to this report, failed to assume his responsibility of incident command. First responders at the scene, according to the report, lost critical momentum by treating the situation as a barricaded subject scenario instead of an active shooter scenario. There was no law enforcement on the scene when the shooter came over the fence and toward the school. Okay. I want to get to the fence. Okay. Because that's a key component to this. I want you to take a listen to one of the Texas House Committee members talking about uh, the Avalde incident overall, citing some things from the report, but then throwing some blame to where it shouldn't be. We're going to get more on that on the other side. Take a listen to this. We talk about the Uvalde Consolidated Independent School District. And let me say this. With hindsight, we can say the Rob Elementary was not adequately prepared for the risk of a school shooter. The school's five-foot fence was inadequate. Despite a policy of locked doors, there was a regrettable culture of noncompliance. In fact, all three exterior doors to the building were unlocked that day, and multiple interior doors were not secured the day of the shooting. 
When I talked about the false sense of security, I do not believe that Uvalde, Consolidated, or Robb Elementary is the only school with these issues in it. I've talked to enough other educators around the state to believe this is a wider problem that we need to continue to look at. That day, several officers in the hallway or in that building knew or should have known there was dying in that classroom. And they should have done more, acted with urgency, tried the door handles, tried to go in through the windows, tried to distract him, tried to do something to address the situation. In fairness, there were many officers at that scene who were either denied access to the building, were told misinformation, some were even told false information. Some were told the police chief of the Consolidated Independent School District was actually inside the room actively negotiating with a suitor, such that they did not know what was happening. They did not have the opportunity to do that. But that's not where the analysis stops. Everyone who came on the scene talked about this being chaotic. The training suggests that when you cut the chaos should not happen. All right. So that was state representative Dustin Burroughs there. He's the chair of this investigating committee. Um, th there's a couple of takeaways from there. I want to get your thoughts on, on what he said. Um, I'm going to go into what my feelings are on that, because the first thing that jumped out at me was him talking about the school not being prepared for a shooting. The, now, again, there's two ways to look at this. The first way is that sentence is ridiculous. It's an elementary school in a small town. It shouldn't have to worry about a school shooting. Shouldn't have to worry when third, fourth, fifth graders are dropped off the last week, by the way, this is the last week of school. They shouldn't have to be concerned with a potential active shooter jumping over a fence that they have or a back door that's not locked. Shouldn't have to worry about that. But here we are. And to blame the school for, and again, maybe I'm making the leap because of his words, but to blame the school for this lack of locking doors when the issue is an 18-year-old kid can buy a semi-automatic weapon same day, same week. We saw same day in Oklahoma. And this kid can go there and do this. That's the issue. No, no fence, no beautiful wall, no locked doors, no steel doors. None of that should have to, you know, uh, intertwine with an elementary school. Jesus Christ, man. How does nobody stop him in that train of thought? Now, I, again, that's his opening statement, but hey, man, this is simple. Let's not put it on that. Let's put it on where it should be. Yes, law enforcement, we get to that later on in the report. But at the end of the day, the kid had a gun. He doesn't shoot anybody with anything else. Okay. I, I heard that. And if, and there was a grandfather that was at the presser, if you didn't see this, and he started arguing with the Uvalde mayor, there was a bunch of different people in the, in the town. I forget where this uh, presser happened, but there were people that were affected by the tragedy that day that were in the crowd you know, making comments. There was a bunch of reporters, not only from local papers, but there was a lot of pushback. And the mayor of Uvalde, too, had some pushback about the information trickling out and what he got that day and the response. But I wanted to get your takeaways. And I wanted to lead with this because this just came down 
as we were filming, this presser happened a few hours ago. Um, a lot of sound bites that have been circulating, which we just played a few, but a lot others have been circulating about this presser and and the total failure of close to 400 law enforcement officials that were on the ground that day. And uh, like I mentioned, a body cam video surfacing of them trying to negotiate with an active shooter. And just it's just a mess up of epic proportions. But let's not forget at the root of this, at the root of this, according to the Gun Violence Archive and the World Population Review, there's only 19 countries that have had the most school shootings. The United States, 288. Mexico, next, eight. South Africa, six. India, five. Jesus Christ, look at that, look at that disparity. What more do we need to say? It's not locked doors. It's not fences. It's guns. Let me get your takeaways. India has a population of a little over a billion people. Right. It's three times the population of the United States of America. And was it five, you said? Five, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing to keep from you know throwing my equipment across the room, honestly. Um, you know, the two things that stand out to me, one is you know, the idea that in the midst of um, the presence of law enforcement, up to 400 you know, law enforcement officials there, um, there's a failure of communication. You know, I, I do wonder about training now that you know, if you allegedly have these protocols in place, that it should be clear, as you mentioned, even with the, the body cam and, you know, for, for no reason, you know, trying to negotiate with an active shooter, which you shouldn't be doing. So obviously, here's a, there's a failure. There's a systemic failure in the way law enforcement operates in, in Ovalde. And it's going to result in a lot of people rightfully losing their jobs. But Mike, I think you hit the most important part. You know, we can argue about the size of fences, which, by the way, I want to bring up in a very important detail right now, because the people who make this argument of security, let's have a bigger fence, let's have locked doors, more security pieces are the same people who won't put anything up, won't make it even possible to get money for it. These are the same assholes who will then say, well, you can't raise taxes. Of course, you can't raise taxes. That's where you would put the money if you're that worried about. As an educator, I'm offended by the concept of those kinds of fences and worrying about this level of security parameter because what you're basically saying is you want to create prisons that not just in school, but every building in America to be further safe, like those hospitals where we've seen a rash of shootings recently, should all be built like prisons. And to those folks, I would say, hmm, is it possible that relationships with private prison f- companies? would be helpful here? <laughs> Do you want to start leveraging those relationships to start adding these additional walls? Let's go throw on barbed wire. Let's get crazy with a mic. That's what we got to do. Clearly, you got to build fucking prisons everywhere to right. prevent these school shootings, as opposed to here's a novel thought. Don't have access to a fucking assault rifle as a kid or anyone in this country. That's the, that's the answer. That is the sole answer to this. But we're not going to have it. So for the same assholes that then come say, well, you should have bigger walls and you should have all blah, blah. You motherfuckers won't even let go ahead and edit that out, Mike. You people won't even let us have the money to do it. So it's always just moving the goalpost. That's what this argument always is. We want to move the goalpost every goddamn time, except for the most important thing that should be done, which is to restrict people having access to that particular type of gun. End of sentence. 
Right. That stays in, by the way, because I agree with everything. Uh, I know we've talked about language, Nick, your language, but but you know what? Fuck it. Because I heard that earlier uh, when we were prepping for the show and I texted you, I said, we're going to lead with this because um, this has been making the rounds on social media. This is one of the true times that social media is good because you you know you're able to find out that something's happening right you know i mean i didn't know that this, this presser was happening people reporters that i follow on twitter were were posting about this former law enforcement officials have been posting about this we had frank figluzzi on the program the 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 uh, former fbi counterintelligence uh, director uh, assistant counterintelligence director and he's an msnbc uh, contributor now and he was posting about this too so like i was able to find out about it and i started watching the presser and i'm just like again when I hear language like that, as somebody who, look, I'm talking to somebody on this program who works with educators, right? You're going to a school district next week. You know, you got, I mean, again, it's summer right now, but like, you got to worry about things like this. You know, my mother-in-law teaches in a class and they, they're ringing alarm bells, you know, to test out this system. And they're doing these training sessions every six weeks or whatever it is throughout these schools. They shouldn't have to do this, man. They shouldn't have to do this. The rest of those countries on that list, by the way, it's four shootings. Okay. This is since 2009, four shootings in Pakistan, three in Afghanistan, two in Brazil, Canada, and France, and then one in China, Germany, Greece, Estonia, Hungary, Kenya, Russia, Turkey. And I don't know how to say this other country's name, so I'm not going to list them. But anyway, um, but, but literally that's, what's that? 19, uh, that's about 26 total shootings. And meanwhile, we have, we're sitting here at 288. As of this list, who knows if that includes the Uvalde shooting or not. Um, more on whatever comes out of the Uvalde investigation and what leads to that, if it's firings, if it's resignations, we're going to try to devote something to some coverage. We have a couple folks uh, over at the Texas Tribune, the Austin Statesman, uh, who will be coming on the program in the coming weeks, as as we get further down the trough of, of following that story, um, but as, as you can hear it in Nick and I's voice, it's very upsetting. And not only as a parent, for me, not only as a Latino and seeing a lot of people that look like me and look like my daughter, um, it's 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 emotional. Um, I want to transition as best as we can to the January sixth stuff. Um, if you were not watching last week's day seven uh, hearing, and the committee has another one coming up this week on Thursday. Obviously, they were playing a lot of different testimony uh, from a bunch of different people that they had been interviewing. Obviously, former White House counsel Pat Cipollone was on there talking about this incredibly crazy meeting that him and Eric Hirschman are sitting on at the White House as Mike Flynn, the Overstock CEO, and Sidney Powell are sitting there talking about Venezuela's manipulating the election and then the election stolen. And these are two lawyers for the White House, and they have to sit there and listen to that. Um, I'm going to play a couple of clips from all the exchanges that that uh, were happening throughout the January 6th committee. But in, in a quick summation, the committee focused on a couple of different things. Obviously, in Tuesday's hearing, they played, like I mentioned, Trump White House counsel, uh, Pat Cipollone, talking about where's the evidence? There was no evidence of election fraud. Fraud, excuse me. He was talking to the the triumvirate, like I mentioned there, of 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 uh, General Mike Flynn and, and uh, Sidney Powell, and the Overstock CEO and another person that was in the room talking to them about how the election is not stolen. And look, he basically said that's not how we do things in the United States. There's no legal authority to do seizing voting machines, which was an idea that came from that meeting. 
Uh, a lot of people arguing in that huge meeting. Six witnesses detailed an unhinged Oval Office uh, meeting, uh, and that was played out in the January 6th committee's uh, hearing that day. Uh, Trump rhetoric killed someone. This is a former campaign manager, Brad Parscale. He was talking with Katrina Pearson. If you don't know who she was, she was former Ted Cruz's spokesperson, and then she ended up working for the Trump uh, campaign. And he had texted her saying he felt guilty for helping Donald Trump win because of what happened on January 6th. Um, let's get into some of the clips. I want to I want to play a little bit of some of the summary of what happened on January 6th. Here's a quick recap. Take a listen to this. Like you're claiming the Democrats were working with Hugo Chavez, Venezuelans and whomever else. And at one point, uh, General Flynn took out a diagram that supposedly showed IP addresses all over the world and I speak, who, was, who was communicating with whom via the machines and some comment about like Nest thermostats being hooked up to the internet. Do you recall whether he raised to Ms. Powell the fact that she and the campaign had lost all of the 60 cases that they had brought in litigation? Yes, he raised that. And what was the response? I don't remember what she said. I don't think it was a good response. The three of them were really sort of forcefully attacking me and verbally, and we were pushing back and we were asking one simple question. As a, as a general matter, where is the evidence? So, what response did you get when you asked Ms. Powell and her colleagues where's the evidence? A variety of responses based on my current recollection, including, you know, I can't believe you would say something, you know, things like this, like, what do you mean, where's the evidence? You should know. Mr. Parscal said, quote, this is about Trump pushing for uncertainty in our country, a sitting president asking for civil war. And then when he said, this week, I feel guilty for helping him win. Katrina Pearson responded, you did what you felt right at the time, and therefore it was right. Mr. Parscale added, yeah, but a woman is dead. And yeah, if I was Trump and I knew my rhetoric killed someone. When Ms. Pearson replied, it wasn't the rhetoric, Mr. Pascal said, Katrina, yes, it was. So there you heard there at the top of that uh, little montage there, Eric Hirschman, like I mentioned, the former uh, attorney in the Trump White House, you heard Pat Cipollone on that. Uh, and then obviously you heard them summarizing the text messages from Brad Proscali there too. And that was Representative Stephanie Murphy from Florida uh, summarizing the text messages to Katrina Pearson. One thing I did want to note was there was also two in-person in witnesses that are former right-wing guys uh, that claimed that they were radicalized and now they've Seen the light, let's say. Uh, Jason Van Tatenhoff, he was a former national spokesperson for the Oath Keepers, uh, and he ad admitted up there he was kind of swept up in everything. There was a lot of red flags. I probably should have broken from them earlier than I did. And then Stephen Ayers, who he spoke as well, a convicted Capitol rioter who breached the building on January 6th, and he returned to Capitol Hill. He was uh, a cooperating witness in Tuesday's uh, hearing. Uh, they have one scheduled for this Thursday in prime time. Uh, Nick. Listening to that, we've been we've been at this ad nauseum. We've even had Eamon Mohideen from MSNBC, who has a fantastic podcast series out there, American Radical, about Roseanne Boylan, who died at the Capitol that day. Obviously, we know a few other people died that day. Um, and we know how serious it was, how close it was to democracy tumbling. But your your latest takeaways on the seventh hearing now from the committee. 
Yeah, it's, I think what stands out here is we're getting this sense, not even getting a sense, like we're hearing so much about what happened in the White House, you know, those days after the election and leading up to January 6th. Um, you know, things that we always considered speculation, like when we say these things about, you know, whether the former president, you know, was mentally unhinged, right? Um, you know, we're seeing it play out. Like you're having folks like Cipollone saying that, you know, going into this room, hearing the wildest conversation about all these silly accusations as to what's causing stuff, aside from the fact that you're just getting your ass handed to you in the election. That's that's all that is. But Trump was just circled by people who really struggle to be okay with that. And I don't, I don't know if it's a case of people being uncomfortable telling this guy the truth, you know, you know, maybe more dishes getting thrown off the wall in the White House. Um, or, or do people honestly believe this bullshit? I, 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 drew, I really don't understand. Actually, I do understand. This is just people being in denial. Um, right. I will always find it funny. These same people in 2016 had nothing to say about election integrity, but 2020, their boy loses. And suddenly the whole system is, you know, is all topsy turvy and, you know, corrupt and whatever term you want to use. Um, We accept those results. We don't accept these results. Of course. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, you know, the fact that we're at seven hearings right now and we're here, what we're just hearing is just more and more confirmed details of things that we had thought may be true, but we're just seeing evidence to that. I will say, though, that as the more left-leaning person on this show, um, so what? Honestly, <laughs> we're seven, seven hearings into this. Um, you know, I think after the third or second hearing, you know, we heard stories about uh, Merrick Garland you know, intimating that you know, people on his team are, are watching, right? And then we had the FBI, I believe, raid at least one person you know, in, the, in the midst of this. But where is this all leading to? You know, I, I commend Representative Cheney and those on the committee, um, and they're in this quest to find the truth, which is truly important. But this is starting to feel a little like Jim Comey 2016 again. You know, we have all this mountain of evidence coming out, and is it going to sway people one way or the other? And the important thing, I'm just going to bring politics into this because it's inevitable to do so, Donald Trump's not on the ballot in 2022. (laughs) Your local elections, again, it's midterms. And again, young people, you're about to get a taste of this in a few minutes. But save that. That's what what matters here. And my question is, for all the truth that we're finding out, one of two things has to happen. It's either going to lead to convictions to try to prevent this from ever happening again, which I just don't see that happening. Or two... This is a driver for people to recognize that anyone who is a supporter of Donald Trump can never be allowed back in office. Perfect example, Doug Mastrino, who's running for the governor, who's running for governor in Pennsylvania. He was a supporter of January 6th. To me, that should be indicative to anyone that if you supported that nonsense that day, you have no business. You have a you have no business really being just a walking, breathing citizen in this country. I mean, you should probably be investigated or potentially put in prison at this point, uh, but you certainly should not be allowed to hold elected office. Yeah, I, I, I think it's an intrinsic quality. I asked this to Amna Nawaz, you know, the, the chief correspondent over there at PBS when she came on the program. You know, where does this end? You know, we, we're going through this now. Ellie Honig has said this to us as well. He said it in his podcast series. Um, they're running out of time. You know, one guy on the committee is not going. Is not up. Um, is not going to uh, re. Jesus Christ, he's not going to run for office in 2022. Adam Kinzinger, uh, Liz Cheney is 
potentially going to lose her seat if you've watched any of the Wyoming debates out there. Like some of these people may not be in the committee. This committee may be dissolved by the time we get to November. So what is going to net out from all of this? Uh, one thing I did want to mention, primetime Thursday, July 21st, the House Select Committee, their next one will focus on former President Trump's supreme dereliction of duty during more than three hours of the invasion. They plan to go through what they call those 187 uh, 87 minutes. Uh, the next hearing marks the panel's last scheduled presentation of evidence that they feel implicates Trump in a multi-pronged conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election. So check that out in primetime Thursday. Uh, I'm sure all the networks are covering it. Uh, let's transition. Before we go to the break, Nick, uh, President Biden was obviously, and this is a trip that you know we asked Idris Ali when he came on the program, the, the Reuters foreign policy correspondent about some of the goals and aims of this trip. Well, the president is already on his way back or back home already as he stopped in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories. And then he met with the crown prince in Saudi Arabia. Uh, there's been a lot made about the fist bump heard around the world as he fist bumped the crown prince there. And we know about the, the Saudi Arabian government's involvement in the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. The president spoke on a couple of different things of some of the, let's say, deliverables from this trip that he felt um, he met those goals. And then somebody asked him as well about something I just mentioned right now, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi and what he felt uh, the crown prince's answer. Was it suffice enough? Because remember, President Biden campaigned on he wouldn't talk to Saudi Arabia, right? He would, you know, he, he believes in human rights. He's a human rights advocate. Take a listen to what the president said about his trip. Saudi Arabia will invest in new U.S.-led technology to develop and secure reliable 5G and 6G networks, both here and in the future in developing countries, to coordinate with a partnership for global initiative, the global infrastructure and investment, which I put together at the G7. This new technology solution for 5G called Open RAN will outcompete other platforms, including from China. Saudi Arabia will also partner with us on a far-reaching clean energy initiative focused on green hydrogen, solar, carbon capture, nuclear, and other projects to, acceler to accelerate the world's clean energy transition and to help the U.S. clean energy industry set global standards. Crown Prince's response to your comments about Khashoggi. He basically said that he, uh, he he was not personally responsible for it. I, I indicated I thought he was. He said he was not personally responsible for it, and he took action against those who were responsible. And uh, and we uh, then I went on to talk more about how that uh, dealing with uh, any op opposition to the or criticism of the Saudi administration. Uh, in other countries was viewed as, to me, a violation of human rights. Bunch of word salad right there at the end. Let me let me say something real quick on that front. Um, I've mentioned this a bunch on the show. If you don't notice hypocrisy on both sides of this, you're just as guilty. Maybe the hypocrisy that you notice or, or you don't notice is not to the same level. And so you think, okay, well, I don't have to call that out because one's more egregious. But let me tell you something. Everything President Biden just said right there at the end on his answer to that journalist asking about Saudi Arabia's involvement in the murder of this journalist is exactly the same type of verbiage that Donald Trump said about Vladimir Putin when they asked about interference in the election in 2020 when he met with Putin. If you recall that presser that happened the next day, you know, I'm not a defender of Trump, 
But if you recall that presser the next day, everyone, mainstream media, and I hate using that stupid term, Fox, you're a part of the mainstream media. You, you get the most views. Um, if you recall that day, everyone was killing Trump on the answer. Well, I asked him and he told me that he didn't do it. Do you remember that, Nick? Everybody was killing Trump on that. We need to be killing Biden on that answer because that answer is not suffice. Okay. You said it on the campaign trail. You weren't going to meet with these guys. Now you're meeting with these guys. I want to read a real quick, a Saudi political analyst, Ali Shihabi, a Saudi political analyst was asked about um, the trip overall. And this is one thing I took away from this article. You can check it out, The Guardian. Uh, he said, the only, thing, the only thing that mattered from that trip, it's not about oil. Biden has realized belatedly that Saudi Arabia isn't just reliant on America anymore. It has important relationships with China and Russia. Those countries sell weapons and have influence on Iran that the US doesn't have. The fact remains, if you want anything done in the Middle East, you can't ignore Saudi Arabia. Uh, your takeaways on President Biden's clips there, the trip, any other thoughts that you have, and even what the Saudi political analyst just said there? Well, I think, the, I mean, the analyst is correct. Um, you know, we're still an oil-dependent country. Um, I'll relate this personally for a moment. I'm in the process of getting, of going solar, you know, in our home. Uh, it's a long time coming. You know, there's obviously economic benefits to doing it. Um, but there's also the most sensible one is that the, the sun is a hell of a source of energy. As a, as a country, as a, as a world, we should be exploring the opportunities to get away from fossil fuels. We should have been doing this for years ago, and we just haven't. And now it's starting to catch on. What we saw recently with you know, Biden's trip is the fact that we're still an oil-dependent country. You know, we have places like West Virginia that struggle with moving away from that. We just saw that most recently with what Joe Manchin's comments were about not supporting the climate change element of, um, of Biden's bill. And, and that's a generational thing. There's too much of an interest in oil. There's too much of an interest in coal, which is purely based on boomers, to be honest. And you know we're struggling moving past that. And as a result, with that dependency on oil, really all your ethics get put on the table now. And that's, that's something we all have to recognize for every one of us that goes to the gas tank every week or every couple of weeks. You know, we all contribute to this problem. <laughs> and so, you know, and we're all clamoring for a way to resolve it. I imagine Biden's team looks at polling data and the price of gas continues to be a point of contention. So what do you do? You try to broker a deal in order to relax oil prices, you, but you do it with a nation that, you know, we all know ethically very clearly was responsible for the death of a, a journalist. And, you know, to hear the president say, well, you know, I talked to him about it and he said he didn't do it. So I believe him. Is, is insane. It's not insane. That's not the word here. It's bullshit is what the word is. Right. And it sounds like it's a cavalier attempt. And I, I would appreciate if Biden would be more op, uh, honest and just say, look, we know they did it. I don't, I'm not a fan of it, but you people don't, don't want to get hybrid cars fast enough. I'm stuck. That's, that's kind of where we are right now. Mike, you're a sports fan. I'm reminded, you know, recently of the controversy involving the live golf tournament. Um, what's going on with Phil Mickelson originally, you know, had been being, you know, on a, uh, on a hot mic, or I forgot how this came about in, in a recent biography. It was a, it was published. a book. Yeah. 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 And, you know, Mickelson admitted like getting in bed with these people, as he put it, you know, these people are blankety blanks, but he needs the money. Right. So that's, you know, that's where his, that's where his moral compass or flips inward. 
damn, that's, that sounds nice. I want to keep that. That did sound good. Uh, <laughs> so that was good. I, I think that's kind of where the the president is. You you yeah. are you are president of a country that leans heavily you know, on needing fuel and with the war what going on with between Ukraine and Russia, the invasion from Russia to be more accurate about it. It's we're all feeling at the at at the tanks. And that's right. that's where we are right now. The uh the live golf tour, it's not a tournament, it's a tour. Uh, they're gonna be around for a while. Uh well, until the Saudis don't want to fund it anymore. Uh we may do something on that because the DOJ is actually looking into the PGA tour right now to see if there's a monopoly, right? And and I don't know why they're doing an investigation, but more on that uh, coming up because that does involve the Saudis. Uh, when we come back after the break, Nick Savary is going to tell a bunch of people to get off his lawn because this man is fired up. I'm going to let him speak. If you're under 30 right now, turn up your headphones after this quick commercial break. Nick, as always, our podcast is sponsored by the good folks at Athletic Greens. Athleticgreens.com backslash emerging. Best place to go for that nutritional health. But you know what? We're going to do something different here because this is like a 90s infomercial. I'm Ron Pupil right now, and we have a walking testimonial of how good Athletic Greens is for your immune system, your gut health. And his name is Nicholas Saveri. Nick Saveri, tell the people how good Athletic Greens has been to you. It's not good. It's phenomenal. Oh, um, recently, you know, I, I, I'll be honest, I haven't drank a whole lot lately, you know, raising two kids, obviously, you know, you can't wake up hungover anymore. I'm I was going to say, man, yeah, I was going to say you should be drinking more, but, but yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> there's that too. But, right. uh, one of the things that's great about athletic greens of the many great properties is restoration. You know, the other day it was father's day weekend. My parents were over had a couple of glasses of wine, you know, you know, different than normal lately. Um, next day I woke up and you, you could feel it again 40s drinking not the best right and yeah i had my shot in the morning again it's just you know you get the little spoon that comes in the bag they make it super easy eight ounces of water or in my case i actually between eight and 12 ounces anyway right. um you just drink that empty stomach immediately the, those effects that we know all so well since our 20s gone gone wow. no headache just felt recharged that with my cup of coffee like you're just good you're good for the day so you know the properties in athletic greens have always been helpful i'm almost done with my first bag i'm excited to get my second and we've talked about packaging before the colors the sp- you know the spoonful it's it works magic honestly see that's a testimonial right there folks if you're asking yourself what is athletic greens these guys talk about it all the time athletic greens with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing, just like Nick gave you in that example, 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens that are going to help you start your day right. And this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, the energy recovery, focus, and aging for our over 40-year-old Nick Saveri with two kids chasing them around the house. Folks, listen, right now it's time to reclaim your health, arm that immune system with a convenient daily nutrition, just one scoop and a cup of water. The man just told you, you don't need, you don't need to listen to anybody else. Nick Saveri just told you. That's it. No need for all these different pills and supplements out there. And to make it easy for listening to this show and being a loyal listener, can we please talk? Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, five free travel packs with that first purchase. All you have to do, we've said this a bunch, go to athleticgreens.com backslash emerging, E-M-E-R-G-I-N-G. 
to take advantage of this amazing offer and take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, Nick, in our final segment here, a survey from the New York Times and Siena College found that just 1% of 18 to 29-year-olds strongly approve of the way President Biden is handling his job. 1%, age demo, 18 to 29. 94% of Democrats under the age of 30 said they wanted another candidate to run two years from now. Of all the age groups, this is according to this New York Times report, young voters were most likely to say they wouldn't vote for either President Biden or former President Donald Trump in a hypothetical 2024 rematch. This article, you can check it out the New York Times. It was written by Maya King and Jonathan Wiseman. We've actually invited Maya King to come on the program. Uh, We're still working out scheduling logistics with her, so she'll be on hopefully in uh, in the next episode or or, or in the coming weeks. But uh, we have a few guests coming up, so she may have to get to the back burner. But um, Nick, you've got a lot to say about this, and we've seen how fired up you are about voting, voting at the local level, checking out the entire ballot, what each candidate stands for. You see an article like this, a survey from the New York Times and Siena College, your blood got boiling. I sent you this article. Thank you to Sabrina Rodriguez, the fantastic White House correspondent over at Politico, who actually sent me the article because she's friends with the writer. And I started reading it. I passed it along to the one man I knew could summarize why the under age 30 folks should head to the ballot box. And he's about to tell them why right now. Nick Savary, enlighten them, please. Well, first and foremost, it is perhaps the most important thing you can do as an American citizen, which is to vote. Uh, Often when we hear about activism, you know, with younger people, it is very much driven through social media. Um, you know, Representative Alexandria, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez of New York had said, you know, voting is the minimum. You know, she downplayed it, you know, in reaction to um, the overturn of Roe versus Wade. Um, and on the show early, you know, previous episodes, I was pretty pissed about it. I still am. Um, I think it's, it's funny. It's funny to me to hear young people talk about downplaying voting like it doesn't matter when you don't even fucking do it in the first place. I talked to all of you. Sounds funny when I say I talked to all of you. <laughs> it's true. A couple episodes we talked about, you know, breakdown of age demographics in voting in 2016. Right. Young people, 18 to 29 in this case, well, 56%, I think was the number. It was like 70.1 for um for older Americans. But that younger demographic, as usual, just doesn't show up. Um, so honestly, if you choose not to show up, we don't really care what you have to say. I'm going to be honest with you. Folks, young people, if you're listening, first, thank you for doing so. When you complain about student loan payment, and I agree with you, we should be thinking very carefully about that. We should be probably be expunging it entirely. I mean, basically ask yourself why in the world you know, <laughs> does the federal government you know, bankroll student loans, but then slap an interest rate onto it? That seems odd for a government body to basically put a VIG on something. Shout out to gamblers, everyone who just got that. Right. Um, but folks, student loan payment is something that's not hotly contested in Congress. Medicare is. Social Security is. Ask yourself why. Why is it that the things that matter to you the most, young people, are not the things that get talked about in Congress? Well, folks, I'll give you one explanation why. 
look at who happens to be in Congress. I shared with Mike a graphic the other day. You know, currently, if Gen X people, folks that are basically born around my age, uh, I was born in 1978, we make up a pretty small fraction in both the Senate and the House. Um, in in both chambers of the House, or both chambers of Congress as well. Boomers, however, happen to loom very large there. Boomers, of course, were those born from 1945 until about 19, it's like early, I think mid or mid early 60s, I think. Yeah. Um, but even still, there's another demographic even before boomers. It's the silent generation, folks. The silent generation, who are they? Glad you asked. Silent generation folks were born around the 1920s, but like 1928 to 1944. They're the generation that basically made it through the great, made it through World War II. Uh, many cases, probably not old enough to fight, uh, but old enough to live through it. They are still in Congress. Yep. <laughs> For, look, I don't mean to be an ageist here. And, I, and I'll be trying to be funny, but I'm going to be real. Folks, if you can't figure out how to navigate your streaming channels, I certainly don't want you making policy for me. Uh, I want to read a couple of quotes from the article that Mike's referencing, which is a great piece I would suggest anyone to read um, from the New York Times. This first quote comes from, uh, it, it reads, how are you going to accurately lead your country if your mind is still stuck 50, 60, or 70 years ago? Fantastic question. Why do we have these folks still in, in power? Well, the answer is we don't vote them out. And it's not just Congress. Young people, I want you to understand something. Congress is important. Federal, obviously. Understand your state. We talk on this show often about, as a, as a resident of the state of Pennsylvania, who do I have to pay attention to? Well, I got to be paying attention to who our mayor is. I got to be paying attention to who sits on our town council. I also have to be a then also aware of who is on our state legislature, who's running for governor. There's a lot of names here, young people. I know maybe sometimes it hurts. You know, I know it's it's not that easy to tweet this stuff, right? Pretend's, a fancy, go. pretend's a fancy football roster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's all you got to do. That's, that's, all you gotta, that's all you got to do. Um, but it, you got to pay attention. But it's not just, you know, voting in federal elections is like swinging for home runs as an informed citizen. You got to put the ball in play. You got to yeah. show up other than the first Tuesday in November. You know, when your mayor is up for election, where are you? When the sheriff, if depending on the type of state you live in, your county, your, your city, everything, when they're up, where are you? When judges are up, where are you? That's where the problem is. You want to see young faces, you got to put them there locally, and then you got to work your way up. Well said, Mr. Saveri. Uh, if you are under the age of 30, I encourage you right now, because I know you all do this. You, you follow people on Twitter. You have your IG, you have your TikTok, right? You're on your phone all the time. We'll follow us at Can We Please Talk Podcast or email us, Can We Please Talk Podcast at gmail.com if you have a comment on anything Mr. Severi just said right there. Uh, first off, if you want any interviews that we've done on this program, you want to watch the video of them, head over to our YouTube channel, type in Can We Please Talk Podcast, follow us. And subscribe to the pod audio podcast platforms. You know them by now. Apple, Spotify, Google. Please leave us a five-star review and comment. Please. ACAST, shout out to them, our hosting platform. We cannot do it without them. Live show, October 27th. Mark your calendars. If you're in the DC area, come on down. Say hello to Nick and I. Surprise guests along the way in that program. And we're going to have some great discussions, just like we did, about a range of topics. And just like Mr. Severi mentioned, the midterm elections as the backdrop. 
As always, I can't thank all of you out there individually, collectively. Can't thank you enough for the support and continue to listen to this program. I am Mike Leon. And on behalf of Gen Xers, we implore younger people, prove us wrong. Really, prove us wrong because we think you're not showing up and doing your part to keep this country heading in a progressive direction. I'm Nick Saveri. Have a good one, everybody. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.